Love it. Merry Christmas. Awesome to have you with us. Hello to everybody in our online campus, in our microsite. Awesome to have you with us. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, I love uh, Christmas Eve services. And I love Christmas Eve services when it's 40 some degrees outside. Come on. I'll take it. Hey, uh, we're going to kick this off with a little question. Have you ever missed something? Uh, And when I say that, I mean, like, I don't know if you've ever missed something that really mattered, and maybe it didn't matter to anybody else, but it just kind of mattered to you. Uh, Maybe kind of think about that in your mind. If you're a middle school or a high school student, or maybe you're a college student, you missed an assignment, and then you realize later, oh, I completely spaced that, you just missed it. Or uh, maybe something like, uh, maybe you missed a wedding. And you wished you could have gone, but you weren't able to go to it. And uh, hopefully it wasn't your own. Uh, Maybe you missed uh, an appointment or uh, maybe you missed a children's play at school, but you had to work or you missed a family reunion that you wish you could have been to. And uh, maybe you uh, asked your wife to record a football game and and you missed it. And everybody knows you record the program after the program that the game is recorded on because in case it goes into overtime, you want to see that. And so you, you go to watch the game that was recorded and it does go into overtime. So you go to watch the program after it. And it's not recorded, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> maybe you missed the overtime, or uh, maybe you missed an opportunity, or maybe you missed uh, an announcement, or, or maybe uh, you missed something because you were just distracted. Or maybe you missed something when you were driving, or maybe you missed something uh, because you just completely spaced it, completely just forgot, or it slipped your mind, or maybe you underestimated the significance of something. And so you didn't even know it was something to be missed until after you missed it. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, I wish I was there. I think about how many people just a couple of years ago uh, during the Minneapolis miracle, that moment with the Vikings, how many people left because they're like, oh, game's over. Ah, that's a wash. And then afterwards, catches it, you know, biggest catch at the end of the game. And how many people missed it because they just underestimated the significance of that moment. Uh, there was a couple of years ago, I was officiating a wedding in Alexandria. And uh, it's about 90 minutes away, and uh, the wedding was at 5 p.m. And so I'm getting on the freeway here in Albertville at 3 o'clock, and I'm giving myself plenty of time to get there 30 minutes early. And I get a call at right as I'm on the freeway, and it's from the bride. She says, hey, just checking in. I wanted to see where you're at. And I said, oh, man, plenty of time. I'm, I'm, I've just got on the freeway in Albertville. And she goes, well, the wedding starts at 3. Yeah, that's how I felt, too. <laughs> I went, uh, What? Uh, no, I thought it was five. And she was like, no, three. And I don't know, somewhere we got our wires crossed. And I'm telling you, that was the most stressful drive to Alexandria. I made great time, though. And uh, got up there and, you know, officiated that wedding. And uh, it's amazing. There was a, a psychologist, Richard Wiseman, who conducted a, uh, an experiment where he asked people to watch uh, a basketball team. And he asked them to watch this team as they made passes. And they were making passes, and he said, I want you to count how many passes this team makes. And so the players are weaving in and out and tossing the ball to each other. And at the end of a minute, he stopped it and said, okay, how many passes did the team make? And the the people said, okay, we counted 15 passes. He goes, that's correct. Now, how many of you saw the person in the gorilla costume walk into the middle of the team, pound their chest, and then walk out the other side? No one saw it. In fact, they didn't even believe that it happened. And in order to convince them that that had actually happened... He showed them a video of him videoing them watching the video, and then they could see it because they were made aware. And it's amazing how our minds work that we can be so focused on something that we miss something pretty significant happening right in front of us. It's easy to miss something significant when you're focused on something else. And I think sometimes during this time of the year, 
that happens to us with Christmas. Our attention is pulled in so many other directions because of food and festivities and presents and music and parties and get-togethers and all of these things are good. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. They're good parts of the season. But sometimes in the midst of all of that, it can be easy for us because our attention is pulled in these different directions to miss something significant, to miss the simple message of Christmas. And it's really interesting. I think that sometimes we can make it a little too complicated because we want Christmas to just be perfect, right? And I think sometimes we set our expectations a little bit too high because we get everybody's sort of Christmas cards and everybody's all looking dapper and looking real sharp and we get their Christmas letter and it says, you know, my six-year-old just got accepted into Harvard. And you're like, wow, I was just hoping my kid passed third grade, you know? And just once, wouldn't you love to get a Christmas letter that's just raw honesty? Like, hey, made it through another year, still married, just barely. Thank God for the guest room, you know. <laughs> I'd love to get that Christmas letter sometime. And the modern nativity set just adds to this expectation. When you look at a nativity scene, a modern nativity set, they look like a fairy tale. Like, check this out. <laughs> you look at Mary, she just looks beautiful. We have a, a picture of a nativity set here, and, and she's just like, just gave birth, looks super happy, right? Oh, this is amazing. And every woman knows if you had a baby in a manger, you would not look like that. And there was no epidural, so I promise you this was not a silent night that we sing about. And in the account of Jesus' life by Luke, he writes the account of Jesus' birth, and we get a really healthy dose of reality. See, baby Jesus wasn't in a cute little manger from Pottery Barn. He was in a feeding trough. In fact, the place stunk really bad because uh, a stable is a, is a barn. It's where they keep the animals. There's donkeys there. Donkeys stink. They smell worse than cats. And, you know, we, for the longest time as a kid, I, I, I'd hear this song at Christmas time, Away in a Manger. I never knew what manger meant until I was older. I'm like, oh, that's a feeding trough. And there's this beautiful line in Away in a Manger, the cattle are lowing. The poor baby wakes, and we sing it, and it's all oh, the cattle are lowing. That just means there's cows mooing in the delivery room. That's what that means. It's fascinating. And Mary isn't wearing silk robes. She's probably wearing some kind of rags. And, and I think sometimes for us, at our vantage point in human history, we can be focused on all these other things, and we miss what's really going on with this young man and this young woman on the outskirts of Bethlehem on this starry night. And... I want us to take a few minutes and remember together what's actually happening in the world when Jesus comes into the world. See, for literally hundreds of years, the people had been waiting for a very specific announcement for, for this very particular good news. And yet, generation after generation, they were told, God's going to send someone. He's going to save people from their sins. He's going he's to deliver Israel. And generations have come and generations have gone, and they have not seen the fulfillment of this promise. Another song we sing at Christmas time is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Listen to these lyrics. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. This is a reference to the nation of Israel who at one time in her history is captured by the Babylonian Empire and carried into captivity and they're living in exile. And so the prayer of this song is that, uh, that God would show up, that Emmanuel would come and, and ransom captive Israel and that they're living in exile until the Son of God appears. The next line goes, O come thou dayspring, 
come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Another word I didn't know what it meant for a long time was advent. It just means arrival. And so this is really saying, come and and bring the fulfillment of that promise that you're going to arrive. Cheer our hearts with your arrival. It's an arrival that was promised hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. In fact, here's the way he writes it. He says, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. If you look at the Roman Empire into which Jesus was born, the way that they viewed the world, the way that they viewed the divine and deities, they they believed that might made right. Whoever had the strongest military power ruled the world, and Rome was it. And they viewed the divine as very distant and elusive and actually angry and cruel. And that's why you would offer sacrifices or perform rituals to make sure that you sort of curry the favor of whatever deity or gods were running the cosmos and running the universe and sort of deter their wrath. And it's that world into which Jesus is born. So you can see why this promise of Emmanuel, God is with us, why that is such a stark contrast into the world in which Jesus is born and why it's such good news for people living in that world. And yet Jesus is born in a pretty dumpy, rural, hick town called Bethlehem to an unwed mom. And even though she claimed to uh, have conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's be honest, most people didn't believe that. Her reputation was pretty trashed. And when you look at the birth of Jesus, it it feels kind of redneck, doesn't it? (laughs) Jesus is literally born in a barn. It's something my dad used to say to me all the time, right? Shut the door. Were you born in a barn? It's a classic dad line. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I was. Thanks to you and mom, I was born in a barn. And as Jesus grew up, nobody paid much attention to him. We don't have a lot written about him as far as we can tell. He's kind of like every other kid. And he kind of goes to school and plays sports and grabs a slushie with his buddies at the local 7-Eleven on the weekends. And for the first 30 years of his life, he lives in relative obscurity, an average guy in many ways. In fact, Isaiah actually tells us there's nothing majestic about his appearance. Uh, There's nothing beautiful about him, nothing that would attract us to him, which I think is kind of ironic because every picture I've ever seen of Jesus makes him look like a GQ model. (laughs) This is what he looks like, chiseled jawline, piercing blue eyes. Perfectly feathered hair with like tons of product in it. A lot of pictures he's got this like little lamb just slung over one shoulder. Like he just carries it around like, a, like an accessory. A little lammy. A little Miss America sash across his white robe that's whiter than anyone else's robe. He just kind of floats around. And at 30 years old, there's this turning point in his life. He puts down the toolbox and he begins this ministry of teaching people of healing the sick and of feeding the hungry and befriending a bunch of misfits and telling people about this new way of living life, that heaven has come to earth, that the kingdom of God is here and telling people what God is like. And here we are 2,000 years later and we're still talking about him. And we're still patterning our lives after him. And In spite of that, we still have all kinds of opinions about him, and and we bring with it all of our history, and we all view him through different lenses. And people's view of Jesus gets shaped by pop culture, by music and movies and T-shirts and amazing merchandise, like the bobblehead Jesus or the dashboard Jesus or my personal favorite, finger gun Jesus. (laughs) 
And some people's view of Jesus gets shaped by religion. Some people's view of Jesus gets shaped by just family tradition. And it's so easy for us to miss this. And the question I want to ask is, why? Why these circumstances? I mean, these are just chaotic and messy and crazy circumstances surrounding Jesus coming into the world. And this is something that was promised hundreds of years earlier, and now God's delivering on his promise. So why does he do it in a way that's so chaotic and so crazy? You got angels showing up everywhere and freaking people out, and you got shepherds, and you got a, a young man and a young woman who are unmarried, and they're giving birth in this barn, and like, how is this the story, right? Generations have come and gone, and, and they've all been looking forward to the promise of this Messiah, and they've waited for this one. And now God has put into motion this plan, and, and it doesn't feel very royal, in fact, it feels very, very humble. And I think the explanation can be found in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. I think it would be found in, really, in a couple of simple words. Luke tells us this, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. All people. That first announcement came to a group of shepherds. And they lived outside in isolated areas for months at a time, guarding their sheep and protecting their sheep and providing for their sheep. They were not highly regarded in their day. They were not clean-cut, sharply-dressed individuals. In fact, the religious uh, elite and the religious leaders of the day looked down on shepherds. The shepherd was dirty and smelly. And if you were a religious scholar studying when the Messiah would come, this would be the last group of people that you would pick. But they're the first ones on the scene. And they show up directly from the fields to, the, to where Jesus is born. And they don't go change their clothes. And they don't go home and shower. They don't even Purell. They just show up straight from the fields. And yet, then they start going through the streets and they start telling people, the good news of this arrival. God's kept his promise. The one we've been waiting for is here. They're the ones who are chosen to represent Jesus and tell of his birth. So why? Why the shepherds? Why these simple and humble circumstances? Here's why. Christmas is good news for all people. Christmas is good news for all people. See, it's not just good news for the well-mannered and the well-dressed. It's not just good news for those who have strong families. It's not just good news for those who have healthy marriages. It's not just good news for those who are gainfully employed. It's not just good news for those with a high credit score. It's not just good news for the good-looking and the popular. And it's not just good news for a select group of people. It is for all people. By choosing the shepherds, God is making a statement that everyone is included. And Jesus comes to the shepherds, and they're the first ones to see him. And they're the ones who proclaim his birth because God wants to make it clear from the very beginning, this is for all people. This is for everybody. Everybody's included. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what things you carry with you, what relational baggage, what conflict, what questions and doubts, whatever you bring with you, God is more concerned with your future than he is with your past. And that is the message. It's not just for people who talk like you and dress like you and listen to the music that you listen to and worship the way that you worship and have the same color skin as you and grew up in the type of family that you grew up in. It's for all people. And to make it really, really clear, 
It's not just in the way that Jesus taught. It's not just in the way that he lived. It's in the very way that he entered into our world. He did it in the most humble circumstances. Jesus is telling us, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you look, no matter where you're from, the message of the good news is for you. And Jesus is for you. There's some products that I come across every once in a while that should be for all people. It should be for everybody, but somebody comes along and goes, no, we're going to make this exclusive. We're going to make this for for a select few. We're going to make it for the people who can afford it, for the elite. And I came across a few examples of this. One is a product called uh, Bling H2O. Check this out. Isn't that beautiful? It's water. It's a water company, but it's a pretty cool bottle. Here's what their website says. Listen to this. More than a pretty taste, Bling H2O is pop culture in a bottle. It's not for everyone. Just for those that bling. Ordinary bottled water is for ordinary people. But for those who have a taste of the finer things, bling H2O may be the perfect thirst quencher. Bottles of bling H2O start at $39. And their most expensive bottle you can get for only $2,700. For water that you can get at home. Isn't that fascinating? Water should be for everybody, but here's, here's a product where they go, no, 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 we're going to make it for the elite. Here's another product that should be for everybody. It's called Renova. It's black toilet paper. Here's what their ad says. Elegant, sophisticated, rebellious. <laughs> black toilet paper isn't for everyone, but it is synonymous with sophistication and style. Why waste your time with last season two-ply white when you can treat your cellulite-free, gym-toned tush to stylish black? You can pick this up for only $15 a roll. That is literally flushing money down the toilet. (laughs) And it's something that should be for everybody, right? But people have claimed it and said, no, 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 no. This is exclusive. This is, this is for a select group of people. This isn't for you. This is for a certain group of people who have the right status. <clears throat> and there are those, unfortunately, throughout human history, who would want to do the same thing with Jesus. Who would want to say, this is for people who fit the mold. This is for people who keep all the right rules. This is for people who check the right boxes. This is only for people who, uh, you know, are, are on the inside, This is for that select group who who live a certain way or look a certain way and haven't made certain mistakes in their past. And I don't know where that comes from. I think somewhere along the way, and maybe it's in all of us, is somewhere along the way we got a little bit of Santa theology mixed in with our Jesus theology. And here's what I mean by that. Santa theology goes like this. You better not pout. You better not cry. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. Oh, yes, thank you for not leaving me hanging. That would have been super awkward. This is, thank you, this is Santa theology. It's this performance-based thing where we go like this. We better be good boys and we better be good girls because if we're on the nice list, then we can write down what we want and Santa Jesus is going to give it to us. Right? As long as we say the right prayer and we check the right boxes, Santa Jesus will give us whatever we ask for, but we better not be bad boys and bad girls because we don't want to end up on the naughty list. Because we all know what happens to kids on the naughty list. Lumps of coal in your stocking. And somewhere along the way, this thinking has crept into our view of God. 
And we think there's this performance base that we have to earn our way into relationship with God. And yet, the reason Jesus came is because we were all on the naughty list. You were on the naughty list, and so was I. And so Jesus came to help us. Jesus steps into our world in the lowliest of places and announces. He announces to the, uh, to the dirty, smelly, unclean, unkempt shepherds in the field his arrival. And God wanted you to know that this is for all people because Jesus came for all people. And some of you, some of you are here today, some of you are watching online because you needed to be reminded of that. You needed to be reminded of that, that God is for you, that you are not on the outside looking in. In fact, Jesus came for you, that he stepped into the messiness of this world for you. He stepped into the darkness of this world for you because he is for you. In fact, that's the message. See, Jesus came to earth to reveal God to us. When you think about the world into which Jesus was born, in every generation, in every culture throughout the history of humanity, we've tried to figure out how do we relate to the divine? How do, we, how do we relate to whatever we call God? And throughout human history, in every culture, the, the gods have been distant and elusive and angry and cruel. And then this God shows up in this very first Christmas. And this God says, nope, I've got good news. And it's Emmanuel. God is with us. And he's not angry. In fact, this good news is going to bring great joy to all people. It's going to bring great joy to everyone. And the only way we can comprehend God is if he chooses to reveal himself to us in ways that we can understand. And God wanted that for us, and so he sent Jesus into the world. We understand what God is like when we look at Jesus. In fact, John, who is one of his friends and who walked with Jesus when he was here on earth, he actually wrote about it, and he would eventually say this, so the word became human and made his home among us. The idea of the word is actually borrowed from Greek philosophy. It was something that they used to describe the, the divine or a force that was running the world. And John borrows that and he goes, let me tell you what that is. The word, this intangible thing, he goes, it actually took on skin and bone, flesh and blood, and he made his home among us. And he says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one, Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus came to show us what God is like. If your understanding of Jesus, or if your interaction with his followers, or if your experience with church is anything other than good news, it's very possible that the message of Jesus got hijacked somewhere along the way. It's possible that the message of Jesus has been polluted with politics or opinions or emotions. Because here's what Jesus revealed when he came to earth. Jesus revealed how much God loves us. When you look at the life and teachings of Jesus and he's pointing back to God, what he points to continuously is how much God loves you and how much God loves me. In fact, we celebrate Christmas because it's the arrival of Jesus, but Jesus didn't stop there. See, by the end of his life, he did something most of us couldn't even fathom. The way the Apostle Paul would later write it is he would say that he didn't cling to his uh, deity, even though he was God, he didn't, he didn't hold on to that position but he became human for us. And then Paul would write this. He says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, he didn't wait for us to get on the nice list. If we could read this in a modern Christmas translation, it would say, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still on the naughty list. 
This angel of the Lord tells Joseph that he's going to save people from their sins. And that means all people. That means you and that means me. And so Jesus entered into our world in the lowliest way possible. And then he died in the lowliest way possible to show us what God is like. Because the day before he was arrested, the night he was betrayed and arrested, and the day before he was killed, he said this to his disciples. He said, there's no greater love than someone who lays down his life for his friends. And the next day, he did exactly that for you and for me. And so in his death, he absorbed all of the hatred and all of the violence and all of the darkness that this world throws at him. And then we have multiple eyewitness accounts that describe for us that Jesus, his body was laid in a tomb, but that he actually rose from the dead. And so in his resurrection, he took all of that hatred, all of that violence, all of that darkness, and he transformed it into love and forgiveness and light. And then you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. We've been invited into something that will never end, something that death itself can't put an end to. We've been invited into this kingdom of God, this way of living, this family of God. And here's what's awesome about it. It's good news that will bring great joy for all people, you're included, because it doesn't matter where you've come from. God's more concerned with your future than he is with your past. And if you've never said yes to this invitation, you don't have to behave your way into God's family. You don't have to earn your way in. You don't have to church attend your way in. God created you, God loves you, and he invites you to be a part of his family forever. If you've never said yes to that, that's the simple message of the scriptures. Really, cover to cover, the Bible is about God is building a family and he wants you in it. If you want to say yes to that, whether you're online or here, you can just agree with this prayer. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you, and I'm so grateful that you never walk away from me. So I want to say yes. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world to show us what you're like, to take on skin and bone and flesh and blood and show us the love of God in a tangible way. Make me your son, make me your daughter, and help me to continue to put my trust in you and follow you with the way that I live. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you're online, if you're here in the room, would you just, if you prayed that prayer with us and you said yes to following Jesus, I would love it if you would just check that first box on the back of your connection card. All that does is let us know that you prayed, and I'd love to follow up with you and answer any questions that you might have. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the ways that we celebrate what God has done is through communion. And on your way in, you should have received one of our astronaut communions. And I want you to know that uh, at Westbridge Church, uh, you don't have to be a member here to participate in communion. We have an open communion. If you didn't receive one of these, uh, we've got some people passing some out to make sure that you get one. But here's what this means. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, it's because of his death and resurrection. And it's because of the sacrificial love that that represents. And so we get this from multiple eyewitness accounts that tell us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. And every time that you receive this together, I want you to remember that sacrifice. And so communion is not meant to be some elaborate ceremony. It's a simple uh, trigger for us that reminds us of the sacrificial love of Jesus. And so 
Um, I think it's appropriate in the season where we remember the birth of Jesus that we also remember his sacrifice. So as we remember the sacrificial love of Jesus through his broken body, let's receive the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup. He passed it to his disciples and said, this represents my, bo- my blood, which will be spilled, poured out for you. And it represents a new covenant between God and humanity. In other words, however you've viewed God in the past, distant, elusive, angry, cruel, I want you to see him through a new lens. He's not distant. He's here with you, God with us, flesh and blood. And he's not angry or cruel. He's the God of self-sacrificing love. And every time that you receive this, I want you to remember that. And so together, as we remember the self-sacrificial love of Jesus through his spilled blood, let's receive the cup. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you sent Jesus into our world, that the divine took on flesh and blood and showed us in a tangible way exactly who you are, what you're like, and how much you love us. So now may we live lives of love and grace, kindness, forgiveness, generosity. May our lives make a difference in the world around us. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.